Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am one of your co-hosts, Wendy, joined, as always, by my lovely and talented co-host, Melissa. And tonight, we are going to talk about movies that we just don't get. Yeah. Things that other people seem to like a lot that we don't. Yeah. Just- so we're in, this, is gonna be, this is going to be a bitch fest. This is going to be... <laughs> Not our usual happy, this is, these are things you'll like. These are things we would like to guide you to. These are things we would encourage you to watch. These are things you will, that will make your life better. These are things that did not make our life better. So, but you know what? One of the great joys in life of being a movie geek is complaining. So it's still, (laughs) (laughs) let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. I suppose. Oh, the truth. It stings. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So we're going to complain tonight about movies that other people seem to love and God bless them. I, I do want to say, I try to be the geek that's like, look, you like it, that's great. I don't like it. Let us have a reasoned conversation on our differing viewpoints with the understanding that neither one of us is going to change the other person's mind. Mm-hmm. Although you should change your mind because I'm probably right. <laughs> All right, so we're going to kick things off. Melissa. Hey, what are we drinking? Uh, I, it's red. It is red. <laughs> hey, it's a Line 39 wine. It is a Petite Syrah from Ooh. California, 2013. I do like a Syrah. I also Syrah. like Line 39. First off, their logo is lovely. Yeah, it's it's a very simplistic label. Um, I really like the logo and the label. Minimalist. And, you know, I, I like the aesthetics of things, but also Line 39 rhymes and that makes me happy. <laughs> also, it reminds me of the 39 Steps, which also makes me happy. Ah, very true. Mm-hmm. It's also... Actually, quite delicious and drinkable. It's plummy. It's very plummy. It's very. It is. It's very fruity. Um, it goes down without you having to think about it too hard. Mm-hmm. Simple and effective. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm in the mood for. So, listeners, uh, grab a glass of whatever it may be, and settle in. And hey, you know what you could do? You could go comment or email us with movies that you don't get. You could do that. So as as we are talking, feel free to disagree with us in the comments. Uh, point out point out to us how we were wrong about movies, or share maybe one of your movies that other people really love and not for you. <laughs> so Melissa's. We started drinking about half an hour ago. Um, (laughs) more like an hour. You kick us off. Mm. I'm going to have you kick us off. Okay. I'm going to start with Revenge of the Nerds. That is a fine choice. Yes. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds, I will say that um, my opinion has changed over time from one of like to one of dislike because 
Um, when it came out, there was kind of a rah, 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 underdogs, nerds can be heroes too. Kind of much like Buckaroo Banzai, although Buckaroo Banzai is much, much cooler. Um, so the, the geeks have the, the geeks have one sort of empowerment sort of thing. And, yeah. and that's what it was marketed as. And it was, um, you know, generally regarded to be a very funny film. I watched it again I, about oh. a year ago. Maybe less. It's no longer funny. A lot of it is really, really disturbing. <laughs> racist. It's and sexist. Racist and sexist and, and homophobic. Homophobic and really, really rapey. Not just rapey. There's rape. Yeah, there, there is rape. There is actual rape, but it's okay. She likes it. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to pick out what we're talking about. Um, the scene where one of the nerd guys puts on the same costume as one of the sorority girl's boyfriend and then finds her in a fun house and he basically pretends to be the boyfriend and they make, they have sex. I was about to say make love, but it's not make love. They have sex in the fun house no. while she thinks it's the boyfriend, but then there's a reveal that she just had sex with a nerd, but... She's because like, wow, she's like, you were really good at that. That's, that's rape. That's yeah, kind of, that's, that's, that's actually rape. I didn't yeah. want to have sex with you. I thought I was having sex with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's rape. There's also the, the panty raid. Uh, I have a memory of yeah. it looking like he was going down on her, which I do actually applaud that they, that they even hinted that perhaps a woman might enjoy that in the 80s. So mm -hmm. that's one brief moment of good good, good for you. But how do you do that with a Darth Vader mask on? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. But there's also the, the panty raid scene yeah. where they, they like rig the sorority girl's house with cameras and you know, invade their privacy. And, and take photos stuff. of them nude. Yeah. Because that's funny. Yeah, not not consensual. That's that's not cool. Yeah, it's that is way not cool. Um, speaking of not cool, not consensual. Did you hear about the judge in some godforsaken I don't even know where, who ruled that a woman in public should have no expectation that what is under her skirt is private? Yes, he said that up skirt shots aren't illegal. Which is even more astonishing considering that case was about, what was it, like a 10-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl? Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the 80s were terrible. Guess what? It's still not much better right now. It yeah. is getting better. Slowly. Slowly. But... but yeah, people who still think that it's okay to take pictures of women without their consent. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're in public. I can take pictures of you. Nuh-uh. No, uh-uh, no. <laughs> and I mean, I say that as somebody, yes, I have laughed at fo photos that people have posted on the internet of unsuspecting people. It still doesn't make it right. Well, there's kind of this gray line of, of street photography where, you know, just out in public general crowd shots or people standing on a street corner or whatever. That's probably fine. But, you know, it's people still kind of iffy. Yeah, people at Walmart, you know, when it you're... It gets into a real ethical yeah. gray area there. Yeah, when you're... you're laughing, but you're like, 
really would I have wanted my picture taken when I'm doing something stupid? Yeah, yeah. When you're when that picture is for the express purposes purpose of laughing at or you know something exploitation that, exploiting that person. Yeah, that's not okay. And that's what they do in Revenge of the Nerds. Look at that. I tied it back. Yay! Go me! Go you! They they creep in there to plant secret cameras, to take photos, so that they can sell more pies mm-hmm. at the festival so they can become the... They're on the Greek Council. Yeah. Right? Or something. Yeah, something. And, something. Uh, and then there's, there's all the Asian jokes. Yeah. Which are really unfortunate. And then there's the super, isn't it funny that he's gay? Look, his wrist is limp. Yeah, that movie does not age well. And I say no. that as somebody who loved that movie for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there are, there are a lot of 80s films, 80s comedies specifically from that era that just have not aged well. It's part of why I don't want to go back and watch them. yeah. I did recently rewatch uh, Better Off Dead, which is still mostly okay. It is still mostly okay. There are the Asian guys in the car yeah. that imitate Howard Cosell. And that just goes so weird that it's like, oh, that's not really racist. They're just two Asian guys who have a fascination with Howard Cosell. It, it goes so far left that it comes back around <laughs> yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. You're Okay. Um, okay, then. Yeah. Listeners, if you if you can think of eighties movies that are unfortunate now, nineteen forty one. Well, that uh, one was always kind of unfortunate. That one was always unfortunate. Yeah, but it's or eighties gotten... movies that man managed to magically pass the test of time. Please share in our comments because I love the reminders, so I I don't have to worry about you know having my <laughs> going back to watch a beloved movie and having it explode in my face of <laughs> awfulness. Oh no. No. <laughs> All of my childhood is destroyed. <laughs> okay, it's my turn to complain. I think I'm going to start with Inception. Okay. I'm going to complain about Inception. Uh, and I don't and I'm partially doing this because I don't think this was beloved by a lot of people, but I do feel like it was really well regarded. Oh yeah. Yeah. And whereas I walked out of it and went there's really not actually a lot going on there. Do we all know that? It It is a movie that builds up the trappings of deep, deep significance, mm-hmm. right? Everything about it, the musical score, the way it's edited, the pacing, the, the, the cinematography even is just, it's telling you this is an important film, capital I, capital F, <laughs> important film, high, I do thoughtful, deep movies. Mmm, I'm Christopher Nolan. Mmm. Yeah, there's not actually a hell of a lot that actually goes on in that movie. Mm-hmm. Realistically. And the ending is like also, <gasps> what does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. I don't give a fuck. That's what it means. <laughs> the, only, the only scene that I really loved in that movie was the brief moment when Joseph Gordon-Levitt was kick-ass and everybody loves that scene and it doesn't go on for that fucking long. If you want that, go watch the matrix and pretend that Keanu Reeves is Joseph Gordon-Levitt or better yet, get Joseph Gordon-Levitt to like just redo the action scenes in the matrix. And that would be happy. Or just have a loop of Joseph Gordon-Levitt with a bunch of puppies. You, that also is something that would make me happy. And yeah. On is, a loop. 
just looping puppies, 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 puppies. So yeah, my complaint about Inception is it's, I mean, it's also just cold in tone, but I'm supposed to care about Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to think that Ellen Page is interesting. (laughs) I'm supposed to wonder if they're going to pull off the heist. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to marvel at how deep you can go in the human brain. And mostly, I was bored. Okay. That's fair. I don't agree with you. But <laughs> and that's fair. And that is totally fair. It's be- it's a beautiful film. It it's it's a puzzle box of a movie like many of Nolan's movies. Um I like the construction of it that it's a heist film where they put something in rather than take something out. I like um the fact that it runs in multiple timelines at the same time. Yeah, and pe- people there's have... a lot to like about oh, it. Oh yeah, I, and and a lot of it is just film trickery. This this is a movie that's in love with being a movie and the possibilities of what you can do with a movie structure. But you're right the um, the characters aren't all that interesting. They're not. I mean, there there is definitely effort put into it to make the characters interesting and to make you care. And there's this d- deep dive for. Um, DiCaprio to find his wife and, you know, kind of Uh seek out understanding about what happened with his wife. But, you know, ultimately you're right. You know, I ultimately didn't really care. Um, (laughs) I did like, I do, I, I do like ambiguous endings because they're so rarely done in mainstream American cinema. So the top didn't bother me. I did recently hear an explanation for the top that actually satisfied me. What which, was that? And that was the the top wasn't the important thing. The important thing was that he turned away from it and didn't care what happened to it. He turned ah. toward his children. His, ah. it, which him, means even if he's still in the dream, he's finally starting to focus on the right things. Right. right. Okay, I like that I like. Yeah. But the problem is that ultimately, for me, that movie is turgid. Mm-hmm. And if you want a great puzzle box of a movie directed by Christopher Nolan, watch The Prestige. Oh, yeah. Or Memento. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there are so many other There are so many better from. films. I feel like Christopher Nolan is getting weighted down by his own perception of himself as an artiste. Although, you know, I will say, I mean, part of this is... I, I really love movies that are ambitious, whether or not they make it or not. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and I would rather you like, were ambitious. Yes, I'd I'd rather see something interesting than something entirely successful. Well, I like successful too, but I'd rather see something interesting that fails than something mediocre. As I tell my dancers, mm-hmm. I would rather have you do it one at one hundred percent and fail, yeah, than have you do it at eighty percent and do it perfectly. Right. Right. And I can 100% is always going to be more fun to watch. Yeah. That's how I feel about Interstellar. Interstellar is a mess of a movie in my estimation. But by God, there were some interesting things in it. And I really did. I, 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 w- I was engaged 100% of the time. I will say that. And okay. I still need to see it. Yeah. I do actually want to see it. And and you should. It, there's enough there that I find really interesting. There there are things that drive me off a goddamn wall about Interstellar. Now that's uh, Sandra Bullock, right? 
No, that's gravity. You're thinking of gravity. No, 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 no. It's Anne Hathaway. Pardon and, me. Yeah. Sorry. They You're are... mixing up your, your space operas. Uh, yeah, well, but actually there's there's a visual <laughs> style to both of them that my brain sometimes... Okay. But I am a fan of Anne Hathaway yes. in general. And I am... I am on board with the reconnaissance. So I'm totally on board with the reconnaissance, and you know the the actors in Interstellar were not at fault with what was happening with Interstellar. Your <clears throat> turn, Melissa. Ooh, I'm going to pick on Lost in Translation now. What? How could you pick on that beloved movie film? Uh, movie film? That beloved iconoclastic alternative film. <laughs> Um, it's got Bill Murray for fuck's sake, and Scarlett Johansson, who's pretty fucking hot. And it's and it's directed by a woman. It's directed yes. by Sofia Coppola. Bravo! You know, bravo! Yay, women directors! We need more of them. Yay! But by God, I did not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I I will. It, it's one of those movies where like I can easily say yes. This is a well-made film. This is a well-constructed film. I I have no beefs with how it was constructed. I have a problem. And and you'll probably see this with some of my other picks tonight. Um, I have a big problem with characters that are bored by their surroundings. Huh. I I have I have a problem, and I know this is this is a personal beef of mine. I have a problem with people in general who have problems finding wonder in the world around them. Like you're in Japan, and you are surrounded by the craziness of Tokyo. And yes, I can understand it being isolating, but you know, if you're staying in a hotel room, if you're not finding connect, if you're not going out and adventuring and trying to figure out what's around you, if you just have time to kill in Tokyo, you go out and you discover Tokyo. I mean, that that is like the very basis of my brain. That is how my life works. And the entire movie is built around two characters who are just kind of uninterested in the things around them. And I have a problem with that. <laughs> I have a very hard time connecting with that. And, and if that is the basis of how they're interacting with the one another, I'm, I'm fine with two people meeting and yes, those two people find each other more interesting than Tokyo around them. That's fine because people are fascinating and, you know, that's like the basis of a love story or, or at least a, you know, in this case, a platonic relationship or, you know, a really strong relationship between two people. But it, it starts on this basis of ennui that I just can't wrap my head around. Okay. I disagree. Okay. For me, I think I focus on Lost. Um, okay. Okay. You and I are very similar. We are people right. who seek out adventure. Mm-hmm. Right? We seek out the new things. Right. Um, so we can't understand a viewpoint where you're in fucking Tokyo. Why wouldn't you take advantage of it? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I went to Mumbai, and um, I felt a little trapped there because it wasn't safe for me to go out alone, and I didn't have... I, I was off in some place where the person I was with was working or sleeping, so I was sort of trapped a little bit waiting for him to be available because it's really not safe for a white woman to go out traveling alone. Right. In Mumbai. And except under very specific circumstances, which I did take advantage of. <laughs> I do want to make that clear. But so I would have loved to have gone out at night, but that was when he was working. Right. And so 
Yeah, a little unfortunate. It's kind of a bit of a side note. But for me, what I saw in those characters wasn't boredom. What I saw was people who were wanting something else from their life than to be in Tokyo. Okay. They were people who had ended up in Tokyo and were like, this isn't where I wanted to go. This is not where I wanted to be. And I'm and I'm stuck here until my life can start moving in the direction I wanted. And so it's not so much boredom as much as it is frustration. Oh, I can I can understand that too. But I mean, even if you're in that situation, at some point you just got to go, well, I am here now. Well, because you're a person who looks for, well, if I'm stuck here anyway, I might as well have fun. Right. But these are people who are lost. Mm-hmm. Who don't even, they're like, they're like, this isn't what I wanted, but I'm not even sure what it is I do want. I just know it's not this. Mm -hmm. And I'm unhappy. And I'm unhappy. But I'm not, there's nothing to be unhappy about. And they're in that, they're stuck in that place that you sometimes end up in your life where you're like, I'm not happy where I am, but there's nothing actually wrong. So I don't feel like I can complain, especially because I'm not sure where, what it is I actually want. Mm -hmm. And so you're sort of, you'd sort of end up in a circle, I would take more direct action than mm-hmm. those characters. Right. But I also know those characters exist. And I couldn't live like that, but I've experienced that emotion at least for a day or two. Okay. So in the movie, I was willing to say, okay, I couldn't let it go on that long. Mm-hmm. I would take forceful action to break out of it. But I can see how somebody could just get into a feedback loop of just feeling like so lost they don't even know how to break out Mm -hmm. and so overwhelmed let's be honest japanese culture oh yeah it's it's a it's a little overwhelming especially in the heart of tokyo it's like overwhelming doesn't even like (laughs) i can understand a little bit being a kind of terrified to step out of the door yeah like (laughs) what can you find in that vending machine are you kidding me (laughs) so especially Neither one of them wants to go out alone, but once they find each other, then they're more willing to start venturing out. Right. And I, so I think it's a little bit also of that, I, I guess I'd kind of like to, I don't want to go alone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go alone. I'm either I'm timid or if I'm going to, I want to share it. I mean, that I do understand. Yeah, that I totally do. I Going totally out do. without somebody to share the experience with becomes very lonely making mm-hmm. sometimes. I mean, sometimes you're up for it, but other times you're like, hmm, I don't, that's just going to make me depressed. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be like, I wish people were around to see this. And Lost in Translation was created really before like Facebook and social media. That's true. That's true. Nowadays, you could go out and be like, well, I don't care. I'm alone. All I have to do is post it on Facebook and all my friends are going to see it. So I'm not really alone. And I get, I still get to share what I'm seeing. Right. It's a different world now. I can I can I can totally uh, understand that perspective on the movie. The it's just that like the whole movie was like that. It was well and difficult for me to grab the onto. pacing and the tone is yeah. It's cool. It's slow. It's oh god, it's isolating. Slow. It's slow. <laughs> yeah, I usually don't complain about films being slow. I can tolerate some really slow movies. <laughs> that can. movie was really fucking slow. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Wow, a movie that's artsy that I enjoyed more than Melissa. <laughs> da, da, da. It can happen. It can, it can happen, happen, people. Uh, I just want to warn you all to perhaps lay in some canned goods because the apocalypse might be coming. 
What? Wendy liked an art film more than Melissa? What? All right. Next, you'll tell me you dislike a musical. As a matter of fact, I am going to tell you I dislike a musical. <laughs> what? <laughs> there are actually quite a number of musicals that I dislike, usually of the classic variety. Um, I had a tough time picking between these two, but I've already complained about one, I think, on the podcast or it's in a clip somewhere. But also, this other one is considered more of a classic. It's a classic musical. It's one of the great ones, and it stars one of my absolute favorite people ever, as we know, Mr. Gene Kelly. But I really <laughs> have no use for an American in Paris. Wow. I don't. Wow. Wow. I can't even handle it. I can't even... You'd think, well, okay, maybe she skips the beginning part, but she loves to watch the fucking forever 20-minute ballet thing at the end. Nope. <laughs> nope i'll enjoy segment like if it like at buttonamathon this year they were playing part of it uh-huh. during in between times i was like windy windy look what's on i'm like yay i like this three minutes oh it's going on who can i talk to <laughs> i think it's boring i think it's boring and i think it's repetitive it does that thing oh like in opera or there's this thing that happens in some classical structures where they give you the whole plot of the show. Oh. And then they do the show. Okay. Or they do the show and then at the end they recreate the entire plot that you just watched. Mm -hmm. That's fucking American in Paris. Oh, look, here's the entire plot. Now we're going to do a 20-minute ballet all about what we just watched. Like I wasn't paying attention. Well, actually, I may have dozed off. So perhaps that was their thought. But ultimately, the real problem is you're getting a plot twice, and I don't give a shit about it. <laughs> I don't actually like the Gene Kelly character, and I don't really care about his romance with Leslie Caron. The only thing I really care is he's got a great ass, and she's got some amazing extensions. And other than that, and there's some lovely lighting and set elements and some nice... Uh, some nice elements there where, like, they recreate uh, uh, Toulouse Lautrec, you know, visuals and stuff. Yay, that's cool. It's not worth it. <laughs> On, seriously, obviously, Singing in the Rain is way better. But you know what? Fuck that. Kiss Me Kate. Super more enjoyable. F hell, Oklahoma. And I'm not even a huge <laughs> fan of Oklahoma. You know what? Watch Seven Brides for Seven Brothers just so you can let your jaw drop. At least you'll be having a reaction. <laughs> American in Paris is dull. And if you want ballet on screen, watch The Red Shoes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you And if you want to watch Gene Kelly do a super ballet number, then again, Singing in the Rain. Yeah. The Broadway rhythm segment is ten times the number that American in Paris has. Just fuck that shit. Yeah. I don't even own it. That's that's how bad it is. <laughs> I don't I don't even own it because a lot of times I will own films even if I don't watch them frequently as some sort of you know nod to my geek cred or I want to give this film money. I want to acknowledge how great it is. I will put it on my shelf in the hopes that I will show it to my daughter. Something like that. Uh, -uh. I got better things to do. Gene Kelly should have had better things to do. I'm very disappointed in him. All right, your turn. Mm. I think I need to pick on La Dolce Vita. What? I know, La Dolce Vita. So we've got Fellini. 
Fellini, but he's a genius. <laughs> Have you ever seen a Fellini movie? Actually, I did. I saw uh, Knights of... Kiberia? Thank you. Because I did Sweet Charity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And Sweet Charity is based on Knights yeah. of Kiberia. Yeah. Fellini, I, it took me a while to actually start understanding Fellini. I had to watch several films. And I had to come back to eight and a half a couple times before it's like, oh, okay, I get an eight, eight and a half now, mostly. But... Um, I don't know that well, I get you? Italian films. I'll be honest. I feel like Italian films and I are just... Maybe um, Vittorio Sica is a director that makes really... Uh, kind of of that same era who makes very approachable movies. At least that I find. Well, mm, um, I want to... Mm, I, should, I should clarify. I love spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. But like Argento... Argento oh is yeah, Argento. Like, well, I, even I don't really like, care that much. Wow, for Argento. there's sure a lot of art going on. I don't know. But but Bava's a lot of fun. But ba- yeah, see, yeah. so I shouldn't I shouldn't lump all the Italians together. I should right. just say there are some of the more artistic Italians or the famous ones that I'm just like I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, it's taken it, it's taken work for me to kind of get into Fellini. And I mean, that's uh, the thing, though. I mean, it's like when people say, "Oh, you could grow to love." Yeah beer yeah but that means you're drinking something you don't enjoy the taste of until you finally what give in well here here's the thing like about fellini movies um when i watched them or at least when i was watching them um to kind of educate myself about fellini it's like there's something here i don't get it yet okay it's that very it's that very clear yeah there i'm not connecting with it personally because i'm white female in america 50 years later but um and this is very clearly by a man who was a womanizer and who you know it was a very male italian in the 50s you know that sort of yeah thing. okay yeah um la, la dolce vita so let's talk about la dolce vita and yeah. your problems with it then okay yeah la dolce vita kind of has that same issue that i had with lost in translation there's ennui with life this is in particular rich people being bored with life fuck you yeah i know right i just wanted to shake and choke to death every character in the movie because it's it's rich people rich famous people kind of just wandering aimlessly through this um is it rome i can't remember but wandering through the streets of an italian metropolis just kind of being bored and and there are there are occasionally just wondrous things happening in the movie. They're just kind of regarded with kind of this ennui and boredom. There's like Gina Lola Brigida in a dress that shows off her assets and diving into a fountain in the middle of a square. Oh, oh and it's my like, sweet holy wow i mean holy cannoli would be appropriate. Holy here. cannoli, and the guy's just kind of sitting there watching her and just kind of like whatevs and and i mean this is what the movie is about it's about rich on wheat it's the whole thing like you, can you know tell- what if that you're bored if you're that bored give me your money and i'll do something with well it. yeah but the it, it is the entire premise of the movie it, it it there's um and you can tell it's kind of a critique of that lifestyle but it's still two hours or however long it is just watching this happen Oh, look at this. You shouldn't be like this. Great. Could you do this in a short so I didn't have to suffer through it? Yeah, kind of, kind of. (laughs) Now, here's the thing about La Dolce Vita. It bothers me that I don't like it. 
<laughs> it keeps coming back. There are portions of the movie that keep coming back and churning through my brain. There are, as you well know from doing this podcast with me, plots fly out of my brain like <laughs> 10 true. minutes after I see a movie. The plots, characters are gone. I, I'm, I have... I have sometimes specific scenes. I sometimes have, I have general impressions of movie. I can tell you minutiae about trivia about how the film was made, but plot's gone. Um, there are many, many scenes of this movie I just keep coming back to in my brain. And it, so it, on some level, this movie has deeply affected me. I haven't figured out why. Huh. There is a, there, there is one really... Super. Maybe it's your personal what not to do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's... You know what? I would love to see if I could be rich enough to get bored. Please feel free to send me all your money. Anybody yeah. listening? And we'll do, uh, it'll be for science. We'll do an experiment where I try being rich and see if I get bored. Yes, dear listeners, please do this for science. <laughs> we beg of you. <laughs> so... <laughs> I will, I will give it this. There is a fascinating uh, set of scenes in the middle of the movie that I want to write an essay about, actually. It, it, it exists outside the movie for me because I'm not entirely sure why they're there. But there is this set of scenes where it's kind of outside the, the Italian city. And it's like in this farmhouse. And there is... Now I'm, now I'm stretching to remember what goes on. But there's there's a young girl who claims she can see God or is claiming to see some sort of religious experience. And there's this whole paparazzi hullabaloo crowds of people coming to see this phenomenon. And the one person, well, there's this guy that, you know, this main character guy who's, I, I, if I remember right, he's a paparazzo and he's just kind of sitting there smoking, kind of bored at this whole thing. But the person who's standing there being the cynic saying, no, I don't think this is a religious experience is a priest. Okay. That is kind of, that is really, really interesting that, um, every once in a while you see in movies, the, the, there is like a very tiny trope of priest as a cynic about religious experiences. You see that in stigmata too. Well, but priest as, um, well, yeah, there, there's a movie called there pardon me there's a book yeah. the sparrow where there's a central character who is a um jesuit mm -hmm. and the way and i don't know i know dick all about the various religious orders and shit like that but in the book they talk about how jesuits have a tradition of scholarship mm -hmm. so there is this trope out there of the scholarly priest the educated priest yeah. the scientific priest yeah the priest who says look i'm highly educated i'm the most educated person around and i'm telling you yes i believe in god and i have faith in god but i also know about science and i know about the laws of probability and logic and that tells me that this is not what's happening here right and i i love that trope me too I, it's because I'm an atheist, so I love it when religious people are like, fuck religion. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, when in this day and age when religious people are reasonable. Yeah, when they yeah. apply logic and science to a situation well, that's yeah. super exciting. Yeah, it gives me hope for humanity. As opposed to the one congressman who, honest to God, thought that you could swallow a camera and it could see your uterus. 
<laughs> you know what it can you know what it can see it can see that i am full of shit just like you that's what that camera can see asshat <laughs> ding so anyway la dolce vita i hated watching it and yet it still sits with me it haunts me it, it haunts, haunts you it haunts me wendy it haunts Ooh. me <laughs> As we were coming up with this list, Melissa's like, the problem is I don't like a lot of these movies, so I haven't watched them, so it's hard to talk about them. Here's a movie that everybody loves that I just don't... Yeah, well, it's... Yeah, it's it fits the theme of the episode. MASH, I can't handle it. Okay, okay. I can't handle it. I have seen MASH recently. I have seen it recently. It might so be because, and I will own this, it might be because as a child of the 70s i grew up seeing the television show yeah mash which was fucking hilarious i was born during mash wendy i was born during an episode of mash that is fantastic i i i really was dear listeners the it's in my baby book and everything the mash tv series was incredibly funny but it was also it had great heartfelt episodes oh yeah some great drama it was just really good shit yeah it was fantastic so when i finally saw the movie that spawned it the movie that spawned it is cynical oh yeah distant it lacks that heart and that warmth so in other words it's an altman film yeah (laughs) and it means that people love altman and i don't I don't. I don't. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I, I don't. I think. I absolve you, Wendy. I absolve you. Like I read when I read um, with nails with Richard Grant, and he got to do what? What was it? The player. He got to do the player and Preta Porter with Altman, and he loved the experience. And obviously, actors love to work with Altman. Oh, yeah. And the way they describe him in the book, he sounds like a darling man. Mm-hmm. But this is a man who is so meta that he makes me feel like. I'm, I don't connect with what's going on because mm-hmm. he is so far removed conceptually from what he's talking about that I'm like, well, that's great, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I ended up not liking any of the characters in MASH at all. Oh, yeah. It, I, it, my problem with MASH is, um, you know, part of it, 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 it kind of ambles around. I Like the football scene, I don't see what that really... It, it is kind of funny, but I don't see what that has to do with the oh, rest look, of it. Oh, look, see, or... they're, they're playing football when they're in Korea. They're in the middle mm-hmm. of a war zone, but they're playing a game. Yeah, like I said, conceptually, yeah. except that emotionally, I'm like, yeah, and? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The, the biggest issue I have with that movie is, again, a really outdated scene now, which is where they, um, the one character fears that he's gay. God, I'm trying to remember how this goes. He, right. he fears that he's gay, so he's decided he wants to commit suicide. So essentially, everybody around him helps him fake suicide. Like, giving him a going-away party for his suicide, and they, like, lay him down in his little, like, coffin and little shrine. And then one of the other characters throws a woman in with him. And, and of course, he discovers he's not gay, or... Something. something like that. The sexual yeah, politics like, are really troublesome. Yeah, really troublesome. Also, the um, you know, kind of invading the the women's showers and and all that stuff. That, yeah, that's. I mean, while, like, while I'm sure that that sort of thing happened back then, 
it's not real comfortable to watch now. What What's interesting about the TV series, and this is probably also a TV series that if I were to go back and watch it, I would have some of my illusions punctured, trampled on. Mm. Um, but I do remember, even in hindsight, how the show grew that, you know, like uh, Margaret Houlihan, mm -hmm. when they started, she was just a bitch. She was a, a character of contempt. The fact that she was sexual was something to be laughed at. Mm -hmm. But as the show grew, she became much more complex, much more interesting. She became a protagonist in her own right. And I have to say, even like Hawkeye in the TV show, the way he was a womanizer, that also grew and changed. But at least all of the women were choosing to be with him. Right. The fact that that show ran for so long is a testament to how it grew and changed with the times and how complex it became. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, there are definitely things that you can go back to now. It's like, oh, that's not quite politically correct anymore. But it had that late 70s, by God, they're trying. Progressive. It they're, had a progressive yeah. instinct. Yeah, it really did. It really but did. But mostly it just had heart. Yeah. And all of the humor in the show was warm humor, not cold humor, if you yeah. know the difference. Mm -hmm. I don't respond well to cold humor. Yeah. Yeah. So MASH, mm -hmm. it's beloved by a lot of people, but uh, it does nothing for me. I, I like it from a historical perspective in that um, it was one of the first movies to really do that. People talking over one another, that really naturalistic, naturalistic sort of feel to it. Altman there, has done some a great lot yeah. of amazing things for films. Yeah, but it's, you know, going back and looking at it now, it's really hard to engage with. Okay, your turn. Ooh, yes. Let's see. I'm going to pick on Francois Truffaut. I think. Those Frenchies. Yeah. You know, I love Francois Truffaut for being a kind of a historian of filmmaking and being one of the, those legendary filmmakers that connected with other legendary filmmakers. And, you know, I own his book about Hitchcock and it's phenomenal. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a filmmaker who loved film. Yeah. Yeah. And he's absolutely passionate about it. I have yet to watch a Truffaut film that I really genuinely like. Oh, poor I man. I know. You love film. You didn't do good ones, though. Well, he did. He. It's another one of those things like Lost in Translation. It's like, this is a very well-made film. I don't like watching it. I don't, I don't connect with these characters, or I don't... I mean, I understand you're a very good storyteller, but the story that you're telling just isn't engaging me for whatever reason. Yeah. Oh, goody. You're telling and, this story. I don't care. Yeah. And so The 400 Blows, which is regarded as one of the greatest films ever made, I just don't get. It's the story of this delinquent child. And I, I want to say he's like eight, ten years old. And mm -hmm. um, okay. I haven't seen it. So. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of a... It, it's just the story of this random delinquent child in uh, the middle of a a city. And his, you know, his parents aren't necessarily mean to him or anything. Or, you know, he doesn't have any really... Any... any really driving forces There's that no really make him conflict. a delinquent. Yeah, he. it's like he's just... 
deciding to be a bad kid because it's interesting. And which kids do. Which kids do. I, I absolutely agree with that. But it's it's going through that embarrassment of doing dumb shit as a child, but without any redemption of it or any reason for it. And he just... And the kid just continues being a delinquent through the end. I mean, it, there's, there's not, no change. There's no growth. Not no. really. It's ah. just... What are the 400 blows in the title? Oh, I can't remember. It is explained. and But, oh, you know, fine. by the time I, I figured out, you know, by the time you find out about the 400 blows, um, it's something about the criminal justice system, if I remember right. But it, it's like, by that time, I just didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I really didn't. Oh, I you really didn't. Oh, you French people with your cheese oh. and your bread and your delinquent yeah. youth. Yeah, and I, you know, I've I've seen a lot more of Truffaut since then, and you know, like Day for Night. At least Day for Night is about the movie industry, and it's Truffaut looking in on the movie industry, and that's kind of interesting. But. At this point, I look back on it and I can't remember a single goddamn scene about the movie. So Truffaut in general just kind of flies out of my brain. I try. By God, I try. I do watch his you movies. Have, you have a good heart. I try. I try. You're I, a better person than I. <laughs> are, we, are we opening another bottle? We are have opening we... another bottle because, listeners... I have not had a good day. I've just been out of sorts and grumpy and part of it's hormonal, but part of it is, let's be honest, some people are just dumb. <laughs> like like the child in 400 Blows. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Melissa's heard the stories. Can you agree that some people are just dumb? Yes, I agree. Some people are just fucking dumb. So I am in the mood to keep drinking tonight. So while Melissa's been talking, I've been opening the next bottle. And this <laughs> next bottle that Melissa brought is the most delightful thing I've ever seen. (laughs) I bought this bottle for the label. It's true, and it's a great label because this this wine is called Rongo Dongo. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it says it also on their label is Monastrel. I don't know what that is. Is that a type of wine? It's just a, uh, it's a red blend. It's a red blend? Yep. Anyway, so this is a red blend. It's from, where is it from? It's from Spain. Spain. Rongo Dongo, a red blend. And the We've label, got the wrong dong from Spain. The wrong dong. <laughs> and the label is very klimped. It's very klimped. It's very klimped. Very klimped. It's gorgeous. I love this label. We might we might need to take a picture. Okay. Um. So anyway, this is what I've now opened, and I'm going to pour me some of this and keep drinking because okay. I don't have to work tomorrow. And tomorrow. Neither- Neither do I, because I turn 40 tomorrow. I'm not going to work. <laughs> Melissa turns 40. I remember 40. That was five years ago. 40. When I turned 40, I had a roller skating party that led to me starting roller derby. So, mm. hey, 40 can change your life. All right. So, now that I have a fresh glass of wine, I'm going to let it... Gla- Did I say glash? Glash. You turned into Sean Connery. You got a glass of wine. Hello, I've got a glass of wine. I'm Sean Connery. Um, that was a shitty accent. That, uh, that was like Terry Thomas blended with, <laughs> with Sean Connery, which is the wrongest thing I've seen today. That is really entertaining. <laughs> All right. Okay, it's my turn to complain. Yes. I think I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to do this one. Mm. 
I am a huge fan, a huge fan of Edgar Wright and um, Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I, I fucking made Shaun of the Dead costumes by... by yeah. I was in that sketch. You were. I remember it well. <laughs> by way of Wallace and Gromit. We, yeah. We can link pictures or something in the show notes. But the point is, Shaun of the Dead, I fan-fucking love it. Oh, my God. And and Hot Fuzz, I rewatch regularly. It's one of my go-to feel-good movies. I love that movie so much. I didn't like The World's End. Oh, Wendy. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, I couldn't get over how skeezy Simon Pegg looked. Oh. I couldn't. I, and he was so unlikable. I did like that Nick Frost was playing, that they sw- basically switched roles. Yeah, Nick Frost was the intelligence. Responsible. Responsible adult. Character. Yeah. Yeah, and Nick Frost did a great job with that. Fantastic, I, yeah. I wasn't surprised by that at all. But it ended up that the arc of the Simon Pegg character, I kind of didn't care about, didn't, didn't actually agree with. Okay. Like, he's so profoundly broken, and in a movie in that genre, I expected more growth. Okay. Maybe. I mean, I loved, I loved that they said, fuck you aliens, and that the world ended. Yeah. I loved that. What I dislike, I think that actually, now that I'm talking about it, I think my problem with the movie is that in all the other movies, the dumb character was more of the sidekick. Okay. Right? In Shaun of the Dead, the Nick Frost character was the sidekick role to Shaun. Shaun was the central role. Mm-hmm. And Shaun is basically likable and he's trying to fix things and he's he's moving forward, right? In Hot Fuzz, same deal, right? The Nick Frost character, not the brightest bulb on the tree, a little bit incompetent, mm-hmm. learning, etc. The problem I have with World's End is that Simon Pegg is the central character, and he's the Nick Frost character. They put the unlikable fuck-up as the central character. And... Obviously, Edgar Wright is a thoughtful filmmaker. He was doing it on purpose, but it meant that the whole film revolved around a character that I don't like. Because, honestly, I really don't like the the Nick Frost character in Shaun of the Dead. I find him to be... He makes everything worse. Mm -hmm. And I know that, yes, you sometimes have those friends, blah, blah, blah. You know what, though? I'm 40 fucking five, and I've learned in my life that when you have those friends who make your life worse, you kick them to the fucking curb. <laughs> you know that? Yeah. At least in Hot Fuzz, he, the Nick Frost character is warm-hearted, he's trying, he, you know, he's a lot more likable. But then in World's End, the Simon Pegg character, and you get the reveal that he tried to commit suicide and blah, 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 and he's just trying to connect and make his life better. But by the time you learn that, you've already suffered through three-fourths of the film of him being the problem, of him getting in the way, of him being dumb, of him making things worse. I don't like movies about people I don't like, especially when they're supposed to be comedies. (laughs) 
I didn't like it. And I can I can I can understand that the one thing that bothers me about the movie is that the while the Simon Pegg character does have an arc, it it's like it's kind of taken back right at the end because ultimately he builds a new team that's obviously just an amalgam of the same personalities that his friends were. He still he hasn't grown at all. He hasn't really grown at all. But the thing is, is the world has kind of grown around him in that they are now the characters that they're now the the, the heroes that that world deserves, I suppose. <laughs> but um, which is kind of interesting. But still, it's it's hard to watch a character like that that kind of has an arc, but not as deep of a one as you desire, just because you invest you invest so much in not liking that character. Yeah, you at I least... needed a bigger payoff. Yeah. If you wanted if you wanted me at the end to completely rethink my vision of this character, you needed to do more. Fair enough. If you wanted at the end to make everything that was unlike about this unlikable about this character some suddenly redeeming, it needed a bigger shift at yeah. the end and it didn't pay off and I I didn't like it. <laughs> and I wanted to I and I it bothers me that I have the other two films sitting on my shelf waiting for me to buy the third one so I can complete the Cornetto trilogy and yet I don't want to spend the money on that movie <laughs> cuz I'm never going to watch it again. I will say that movie is so well constructed. Oh yeah, Edgar I mean Wright. the the, Ed- the again the puzzle box. I mean yeah. he lays it out, and the way the pubs are named, and mm-hmm. the way it the way it moves along. There's well, so much to like about the movie, which is the problem that there's so much to like. I love the Nick Frost character. I love all of the supporting characters, and this what it is all revolving around is somebody I really just want to punch in the throat. Yeah, I I'm that's kind of the same issue i have with 400 blows (laughs) honestly i'm gonna comment briefly on the wine oh yes how is rongo dongo it's very citrusy Ooh, yeah i look forward to trying it i'm still working on the uh the previous wine that one was much more fruity this one is much more tart it's got crispness to it nice also i am officially tipsy can we still pronounce things I can pronounce I things. I can um, if you give me a couple of tries. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to wrap up because I think we have gotten... Yes, yes, we're on our last ones. I'm going to bitch about winged migration. <laughs> Go for it, Melissa! Winged migration. Um, 2001 documentary film nominated for an Oscar. It's- I saw you bitching about this on Facebook. Oh, fuck that movie. <laughs> fuck this movie. So, okay. So it's a documentary where it's it's all about birds that migrate and it it what i know right shocking shocking so it's about birds that migrate and twist um, it's it's one of those spoilers it's one of those documentaries that kind of doesn't tell you much about what's going on it just lets you look at the pretty pictures which which is fine which is what it's an imax feature no it's not an imax feature it's just one of those documentaries that's less about like the the details of nature it just lets you watch nature which is fine there's another documentary that was made in about the same era called microcosmos which is all about like little tiny insects and little tiny things that happen in the water and all that fascinating movie some of the same people worked on it but microcosmos is amazing 
Microcosmos, amazing. Winged Migration bugs the shit out of me. So, Winged Migration, first of all... I'd be interested to hear Sharon Steitler's take on this. Yeah, me too. She was the first person I thought of. Anyway, Um, you were saying, and I interrupted. I apologize. It it does some things like, um, once it kind of switches to a new species of bird, like every 10 minutes or so, five minutes or so, there's some text that pops up that says, this bird migrates 2,000 miles from here to here. And that's about all the explanation you get about these birds. And so you see these beautiful, beautiful footage gorgeous footage of birds in flight like they were taking um ultralights and flying along with the flock of birds so you get these amazing tracking shots from within the flock of birds that's really cool first of all the first thing i noticed was that the editing was crap (laughs) so (laughs) you look so offended i am really offended because this is the same editor from 400 blows this is the same woman who edited the 400 blows so i feel like the 400 blows is Are coming back around to his hurting me again <laughs> but this is she's also the same woman who edited microcosmos which is like i said a similar documentary and that one was fine so this just baffles me one of the things you try to do when you're an editor is from shot to shot you try to make the motion make sense. So if you have a cut, you try to match the motion from the previous from the previous shot to the next shot. So you have a the cut. idea of the birds are flying left to right. right. And the next shot should not have them flying right, right to, to left, left because that's going to be very jarring. Right. Correct. <laughs> and it happens all the time in this movie Ugh. where it just and it's it's clearly, you know, the same birds, maybe in a different setting, but they're going in different directions. The, the motion doesn't match. And it, it winds up being really jarring and confusing. And I know a little bit about this documentary going in. They shot 255 feet per film per foot of film they used in the movie, which means there are 254 feet of film of other shots that could have been used to match. In other words, they had choices. <laughs> they had choices. Or they could have just flipped the shot because it was in nature and it didn't matter. You know, it's not like there's text that you had to flip. It it bugged me. It bugged <laughs> me. It it just bothered the shit out of me. And then, and then. Oh my God, you were getting so fired oh, up. Oh, oh, I have a beef with this movie. So I learned, I learned that this is not just documentary movie it's they were getting these amazing shots because they were actually taking birds and acclimating them to the cameras and to people so that they could you know fly along with them and the cameras wouldn't bother them so essentially they were making pet birds they were not going out into nature and and photographing birds wild birds doing the things that wild birds do they were literally taking eggs and acclimating the eggs to the sounds of humans and um and cameras hatching the birds they were basically pets oh and then flying along with them that's like a profound lie i know right and and 
And, okay, so <laughs> there is this scene near the end of the film, where, which is the, the dangers of industrialization scene, which is, like, required of every nature documentary. So People um, suck. People suck. So one of these flocks of birds fly into kind of this industrial area. You don't know where it is because they don't give you any of that information. And one of the birds kind of flops into... A, a patch of oil or like a mud puddle of oil and it's just like flopping around in the oil and it's one thing if your camera crew just happens upon the scene and captures footage of it but at this point you're throwing a pet bird into an oil spill oh and as i learned from you know the trivia you're page torturing. of torturing yeah torturing you deliberately birds. throw a bird into this oil spill to get this shot and you know apparently they went right away after the shot was done took the bird out and cleaned it off but it's like that no, no that no. no 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 the bird didn't no. give its consent no it, and no. the bird had to have been freaking the fuck right out yeah that was not a happy bird i, I am pissed at this movie i completely agree with you oscar nominated fuck, fuck that movie Fuck and, that movie. Uh, I, and I am somebody who thinks PETA are a bunch of crazy-ass terrorist people, but still... Mm -hmm. No, that, no, no. I mean, the, the point of documentaries is to document the world around you, right. not create the world around you and film it. That's right. called a movie. Right. Ah, that, yeah, yeah I'm pissed. I'm pissed. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am I feel fully on too. board with your beef. Your beef... I will eat your beef. I understand that. <laughs> All right. It's my turn. My last yes. movie that I'm going to complain about. And this is one I, I saved it for last because every time I admit the truth about this movie, people around me look at me with a what the fuck. The Big Lebowski. What the fuck? I can't handle that movie. <laughs> I can't handle... I can't handle John Goodman. Okay. And that is truly what I can't handle. We, I've seen it several times. I've watched it with other people and I've gotten through it. Okay. And I've always loved the dude. And oh, I've yeah. always loved the trappings of the movie. I've loved like, you know, man, that, that rug really tied the room together. Mm -hmm. You know, this aggression will not stand. I love the dude. I love how chill he is. I love how he's just like, why would you be like that, man? Why you got to be such a jerk? I love that. And that's funny coming from me because we know <laughs> that I'm a very wound up aggressive person sometimes. But I aspire to be like the dude. I wish I could be mm -hmm. the dude. Right? I can see that this man has zero fucks to give. And I think that must be so freeing. I would love to be like the dude. I can't watch the movie because I can't stand Donnie. <laughs> He's such an asshole. Like 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 uh the world's end, right? Mm -hmm. I can't handle these characters who are just who create problems. Mm -hmm. So much of what goes on in the Big Lebowski is Donnie being an asshole and making things worse. Why would you still be friends with him? Well, he's the big Lebowski and he's so Zen. So he, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, kick him to the curb. So you don't have to deal with that fucking shit anymore. The last time I tried to watch the big Lebowski was the breaking point. 
I got halfway in and I'm just like, honey, I need, because I was watching it with Chris, my husband. I'm like, honey, I, I can't. I can't handle this movie. It is making me angry to watch this asshole. If, if we could make a cut without Donnie, <laughs> I would probably love the movie. I would probably love it. He makes everything in that movie worse. And yes, there are really people like that in the world. You know what? I hate those people and I don't want to see them when I'm trying to be entertained. And that's the truth. I don't like the Big Lebowski. <laughs> I love the Big Lebowski, the character. I can't get through the movie. If somebody, if you want to write in and tell me how I can somehow magically transmute my perception of Donnie. Is it Donnie or Ronnie? Donnie. I think it's Donnie. Magically transmute my perception of the John Goodman character. Please help me out because there's so much about that movie I love. And I do love the Coen brothers sensibility. And yet what it, what many consider to be their masterpiece. I can't get through anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will say it took me a while to, to enjoy the big Lebowski. My first couple times through it, it's like, it just didn't engage me. I it just didn't. really didn't. And, and that was just likable there. It, it wasn't unlikable. It just didn't engage me. It, it was more like, ah, eh. Well, you, your central character is a man who refuses to engage in life. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and you know. And you have problems with ennui. I, I have problems with that. And, and but I at have least... problems with assholes who do nothing but cause problems. Mm-hmm. Because in my life, I have dealt with assholes who cause nothing but problems. And you know what? They're assholes who cause nothing but problems. <laughs> Fuck you and get out of my life. Yeah. But I have come around and I've started really enjoying the movie. Um, one thing you might be entertained in is that there was once a TV cut of the uh, Big Lebowski. Which, given how much swearing is in the Big Lebowski, was really entertaining because they had to get really creative with how they dubbed everything. Who is it? No, it's Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. When they dub their TV uh-huh. dub, they get they have a ton of fun with how they redub the swear word. Nice. The swear words. I think it's on one of the extras of maybe it's Hot Fuzz. Yeah. But they love redubbing for TV because they just start throwing random words in instead <laughs> of swear words. And I, I think that's delightful. They're, they're, the, the, the most famous thing about the TV edit of Big Lebowski, it's, it's like it went off into La La Land where in terms of what they were covering with. Um, the scene where John Goodman's character is smashing the car window it, you know, standing on the car and smashing it and saying, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, got translated to, this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, do you know what my brain says? <laughs> do you know what my brain just did there? I don't know, but do I'm you- dying to know. <laughs> Heidi. <laughs> John Goodman is now appearing in the beloved family classic Heidi, Heidi. <laughs> with the little with pigtails the, and... with a baseball bat swearing <laughs> in my brain. Oh my god, it's delightful! Oh, I love this picture. See, I just made Donnie more enjoyable for you. <laughs> okay, that is true, but I'm still not going to watch that goddamn movie. <laughs> so, listeners. 
thank you for joining us as we complained about movies that we just didn't get. What do you got here? Oh, it's time for us to talk about. It's time for us to share some of our listener questions. We do. If you have, if you listen to this podcast, and I know, I know there are people out there listening who have not answered these questions. Because I, because I know, I know you, because I probably personally know you. So you should just do it. Just do it. God damn it. Or, anyway. Or I might know you. Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> so, well, no, but the thing is, all of them, you know, but, or maybe we both know, but I know I have friends. You have friends? That you don't know who listen. Mm. Please just answer them. Anyway, okay. so it's time for our listener questions. Melissa, who are you tonight? Carol P. Charisman. That's a good name. Yeah. Carol Carol as in K-A-R-E-L. Well, that's a very Russian sounding name. Yeah, very much so. Like, I feel like he should coach some gymnasts or something. (laughs) Hey, Carol, what do you do? By day, tech support. By night, well, I used to do a webcomic with rubber ducks. But I bet you've heard that a million times, right? (laughs) I have. Oh, goodness. How often I've heard that. (laughs) Uh, Especially his pillow talk. What? (laughs) Carol, what would be in your personal pleasure dome? In one section, a big theater slash stage section with great acoustics. So you don't have to turn up the sound to deafening levels when watching movies. Yes. Yeah, right? Uh, In another section, fully insulated and sound dampened. A big reading room with a variety of chairs and sofas and pillows and whatnot, complete with a good-sized library of material to enjoy. I like you, Carol. It needs a fireplace, too. Mm. Sorry, Carol, I'm going to throw that in. It needs a fireplace, too. In the reading side or the movie side? The reading side. Mm. Yes. 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 And and much as I love a wood-burning fireplace, it's a bitch to clean. So we're going to make it a fire, one of those where you just turn, you like you flick a switch and it turns on. Yeah. Also a big brandy snifter, like a really unreasonably large one. Like a fish bowl that you can swirl while reading with the other hand. Yes. 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 Okay, I'm dreaming about that now. Mm, mm. My my dream home gets more complex every time we record. <laughs> Carol, what what recommendation do you have for our communal pleasure dome? I can't imagine there are many regular movies I've seen that neither of you has hasn't already taken in. So I'll try for something with a wide appeal from the anime side of life. Yay! Summer Wars is a movie about virtual reality and online life colliding with a big family shindig where the stakes are as high as the fate of all human life on Earth and as grounded as keeping a crazy but tightly knit family going in the face of crisis and loss. It's beautiful, poignant, funny, and heartwarming. That sounds delightful. It is. Melissa here. I have seen it. <gasps> that sounds fantastic. Yeah. It was at the first year I went to uh, Fantastic Fest. They had Summer Wars. And um, it, I, a um, bit of trivia, the the thing I posted on Twitter about it was used as a pull quote for their, <laughs> the, 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 oh! the, produ- 
construction company used it as a pull quote. And Look I, at you. I can't remember what I said. It's I think it was something like it's it's like Kurosawa meets the Matrix, which is really what it's like. Oh, it's like Kurosawa's Rhapsody in August, which is kind of this homecoming with all the family. And then there's this whole Matrix aspect where there's all this online virtual reality stuff going on. That sounds fantastic. It's really a lot of fun. Well, then I'm not I'm not hugely knowledgeable about anime, mm-hmm. and anime is a huge genre. It's enormous. So anytime anybody can give me a recommendation to help me wade into that, I'm so happy. Yeah, yeah. No, that it's a really good one. It's oh, a really that sounds good delightful. One. Yeah. All right, listeners, thank you for joining us. For another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Yes, thank you. As we enjoyed ourselves complaining and being <laughs> honest about movie. Sometimes you just got to be honest. You just got to be honest and look at your friends and go, yeah, I didn't like it. Sorry about that. Listeners, I hope you will take this opportunity to comment and let us know about movies that you just don't get, or maybe tell us how we missed something that clearly if we just considered this one thing, that movie would make a ton more sense. Please, we love to hear from you. Engage your passion, listeners. We love passion. Passion. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll talk to you next week. You know we love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Also, Donnie Darko, don't like it.